The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Etchman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs or objectives. So consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Victoria Shakeshaft is an ex-financial counselor who shares judgment-free money basics on her social channel, Bad Bitch Money, with lots of fun appearances by her cat too. She is a great source of financial information. She is determined to break down the stigma and shame that surrounds being bad with money and how our emotions around money impact our financial, physical, and mental well-being. She is currently studying a law degree, is an occasional weightlifter, a terrible cook, and loves to lie reading in the sun like a lizard on a rug. We cover what a financial counselor does and tips on dealing with the cost of living and why we get into debt and some strategies on how to pay it off. We are so excited to have Victoria here with us. But before we get into the episode, let's start with our money wins and losses. Victoria, did you want to go first? I will go first. So the time that we're recording this is around Are You Okay Day? And I've come into the office at work today and we've all been given coffees today. So I've got a free oh. coffee, which is so nice because normally I drink instant. But um, <laughs> so I'm really excited. Instant. I've got my nice fresh coffee. I know. Well, we actually have a coffee tap at work, like a fancy tap. So it's like semi-instant, semi-brewed. Yeah. Amazing. Good one. Instant coffee on tap. I love that. Anna, did you have one? I ordered you foods for the first time and paid $9.99 for seven meals. So it was the first time that I've used you foods. I don't think it's right for my family, but 10 bucks for seven meals in the freezer. Can't go wrong, right? Um, That's pretty cool. What's that? A dollar something a meal? I can't do that math in my head, but yeah, really cool. Yeah. So happy win for those emergency days where you need something quick. Mine, uh, your coffee one inspired mine, Victoria. I went to Melbourne the other day and when you have Virgin Lounge access, you can get to the lounge when you land as well, not just before the flight. So I like to land and then have breakfast when I get there and then get a coffee for the Uber. So that was a money win. So good. So let's dive into it. You used to work as a financial counselor, but now you're working inside a bank. What do you do? Yeah, so I'll probably just explain really quickly what a financial counselor is in case we have any people who who aren't familiar with that. So financial counselor is someone who works in a nonprofit, like either in a government organization or a non-for-profit organization and they help people who are in financial crisis and they basically work with them to try and explore their options. So it's very, um, a financial counselor will work with banks to try and, and try and get a good outcome for, for a client or a customer who is in financial difficulty. So I recently this year moved into the other side of that. So I'm in a corporate banking role now. And what I do in that role is I work in a team and our team's job is to hold the rest of the bank accountable for treating our customers fairly. So making sure that if our customers are vulnerable, if our customers are in financial difficulty, any of our customers, making sure that in the way that we work with that customer, the way that we serve that customer, we are being fair to that customer in all respects. So it's a really cool job. It's very, very rewarding. I get to work on a lot of policy, a lot of recommendations for other business units in the bank. And, and our job is to is to make sure that 
our products and our service and everything that we do at the bank is fair for our customers. That is such a cool job. It I is. I feel like yeah. we need more of you. That's awesome. I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that was a thing until I met you. It's a very, very rewarding job and it, it really does bridge the gap between how we build services and products and how people experience those services and products through the fairness lens. So not just through your general experience, but you know, are people getting fair treatment and fair outcomes when they when they come to us as a customer? So it's it's very cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any quick tips for people around their banking now that you're a banking expert at a bank? Oh, I think a couple of, of different tips from different areas. So a really practical piece of advice that I give to people, that I gave to people even when I was a financial counsellor is banking is so tech orientated now. So it's really imperative that you have at least some money across different banking institutions. So Banks have times where there are outages. It's an it's an online based, it's a digital service. Outages are unavoidable. So you just don't want to be stuck at the petrol station or stuck at the grocery store. It happens very rarely, right? But you can't access your money. Or for example, a girlfriend of mine had all of her accounts locked the other weekend because there was suspected fraud activity, scam activity on her account, and they locked everything right until they could do an investigation. And so if you have your money in just two or three different places, it doesn't have to be a lot, but just to make sure that you're kind of protecting yourself from something like that. And then the other, the other tip that I would probably say is if you're having issues with your banking, if you're having issues with your repayments, anything like that, the earlier that you can let your bank know, the more options that they're going to be able to give you. Of course, you should see a financial counsellor if you are in real money crisis or you've got different different debts with different people. But letting your bank know, once you let your bank know that you're in financial difficulty, we have regulatory obligations to help you and provide options to support you. So the earlier, the better. Let us help you. Yeah. I feel like you don't really hear about that. What kind of things can the bank do to help you? Or what are they allowed to do? It really depends on your circumstances. And a lot of this is, of course, from when I was a financial counsellor as well. So what it tends to come down to is if what's happening for you is a temporary kind of hardship or a, a permanent change in circumstance. So if something temporary has happened, let's say you've uh, lost your job, you've been made redundant, or you've had to take extended sick leave and you're not getting paid what else would there be? You've had a relationship breakdown and you're going through fin- like a financial separation, then your bank will be looking at things like reduced payment arrangements for a short amount of time or a payment break, or sometimes they can do like a reduced interest for, for a short amount of time. It really just depends. And the idea of that short hardship is that as you come to the end of that period, whether it's three months or six months, very occasionally you'll get 12 months, you kind of have a plan to recover. It's a recoverable temporary hardship. Whereas if you have a, a permanent change in circumstance, so something happens, let's say you uh, get injured and you have a disability or what else would there be? You can no longer work in your field that you work in or you have a terminal illness would be another one, something or let's say you're separating and you no longer have capacity to maintain a mortgage on one income. Those things are very kind of different conversations because a temporary hardship isn't going to help you uh, to adjust to a new permanent financial situation. So in those instances, I always suggest you go to a financial counsellor anyway But bearing in mind that your options are going to look quite different because as a bank, we are obliged 
to not put you in further hardship. So there needs to be an option for you to recover at the end of a hardship agreement. So if, if it's a permanent change, then it needs to be, okay, can we do something to make this loan affordable? Do we need to do something to, for example, support a customer in selling their property or in order to move into a property that is affordable? It's very, very situational. And, and most of that answer is, is from when I was a financial counsellor. But the earlier you ask and the earlier you start having those conversations, the more options you have. Mm, It's really good to know that there's other options out there because I think it can be so overwhelming if something's happening. And I think a lot of us view banks as these big, scary places that can't help you. So it's really good to know. It's always great that there's access to other avenues when you need help. I'd love to just talk a little bit more about financial counsellors because that's what you used to do. How can someone access one? Financial counsellors are some of my favourite people on the planet. And I don't know if that's egotistical of me to say because I was a financial counsellor, but truly I think there is such a misconception that when a person goes to see a financial counsellor that the financial counsellor is going to sit there and and judge them for what's happened and, you know, kind of, you know, tut, 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 how did this happen? How did you, you know, how did you let this happen? Whereas really it's very much not like that at all. It's very much like, tell me a story, tell me what you would like the next chapter of this story to look like. and, And I will tell you what your options are to try and get there. And sometimes what a client wants the next chapter to be is not what's in the book for that person. You know, we financial counsellors can only operate within a framework of what a client can afford, what a, what a bank will allow, what the situation is. But financial counsellors are so warm and supportive. And, you know, I always say to people, it is very much like any other professional. If you're going to a psychologist or a counsellor or a lawyer, or a broker, sometimes it is the case that the first person you go to isn't quite the right person for you. And you are allowed to go to somebody else if you, if you don't quite have that connection, because it's a pretty, it's a pretty important relationship to have the one with your financial counselor, because you have to be really honest and transparent. And if you're not, we do find out, I'm really sorry, but you know, if you, if you don't tell us uh, something about your financial situation, your bank will as a financial counselor and, and it makes it, their job harder. Our job, their job is hard for me because I'm still one foot in each camp. But to get in contact with a financial counsellor, there's two ways you can do it. So you can call the National Debt Helpline on 1-800-007-007. They also have a free like online chat as well. If you're like a, the kind of person who doesn't like to speak on the phone or you find it really uncomfortable for you. <laughs> that is me. Just want to web chat <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Someone. I'm the same. And then you can save the chat and download it as well if you if you have anything that affects the way that you remember information, which is really good. I always suggest that the National Debt Helpline is a great place to start just as an overall look because they will tell you financial counselling is the right option for you rather than you making an appointment, you go to a financial counsellor and they're like, look, I'm really sorry, but you actually need tenancy advice or legal advice. And then you feel let down because you've like got ready and you've gone there. Um, so the National Debt Helpline will help you find someone that's close to you if, if you need to go and see a financial counsellor. But it might be the case that you get the information from the NDH and you're self-empowered to then take those steps yourself, which is another option. And if you would prefer to have someone to walk beside you, then the National Debt Helpline will help you find a financial counsellor or you can find one on the ndh.org.au website. 
Um, and I've got a couple of people that I really love at the NDH. If you happen to speak to Natalia, um, she's my, she's my girl. Make sure you tell her <laughs> I sent you. And, um, yeah, she's my favorite. Well, we're not allowed to have favorites. I know, no, no, sorry. you're still my favorite. <laughs> you love um, them all. But <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I love them all. But yeah, Natalia is, is really special. We've had a lot of conversations about, about financial counseling. So don't hesitate. They're really nice. I really loved your comment about if you don't find the right financial counselor for you, like go find someone that you fit with, because that's so important, whether you're looking for a doctor or a financial counselor or a financial advisor or anything, you want to make sure that you feel confident and comfortable, especially if there is shame that comes with money. And I know for a lot of us that is, and if you're in place of distress or hardship, finding someone that really understands you, that empathizes with you is so crucial. So I, I really love that. I just wanted to <laughs> say that that is absolutely great advice. And to add to that, what I will qualify that in saying is that you shouldn't shop around in the hope that you'll find a financial counsellor who will tell you what you want to hear. That is a thing that, of course, some people try to do because they're not ready to accept the information that they've been told. And that's okay. And it really just depends. Sometimes it's really good to get, to get a second opinion. I've been able to give second opinions before for financial counseling clients, which has allowed them to make a more comprehensive decision for their circumstances. But sometimes it really is a case of where do I feel the most culturally safe? Where do I feel the most safe as who I am in my gender identity? You know, financial counselors are still people and traditionally the average age of a financial counselor is you know, older, usually they're in their fifties or older. And so sometimes you professionals are still people, right? And they still doesn't matter how much training you do. Some people have different biases. And if you're having to work to be who you are in a room with any professional, you are within your rights to actually seek somebody else who makes you feel safe because the journey is hard enough, right? Mm -hmm. I'd love to get into the topic of cost of living because that's everyone's favorite topic at the moment. What are some of the top tips that you have for dealing with the cost of the rising cost of living? So I think in the current climate, so many people are just exhausted. And so there's a lot of kind of financial fatigue, which means that it can be quite difficult to keep looking for ways to manage. And so when I am talking to someone about cost of living or their day-to-day kind of money management, it, it really is a case of identifying that person's strengths. So if that person is confident on the phone, if they if they don't mind getting on the phone and having a chat, so not Tash, but maybe um, maybe somebody else. <laughs> I do it else, when I have to. <laughs> then yeah, when we have to, uh, it really is a case of potentially like one option is you write a list of your necessities and you get on the phone and you have a polite fight. To, to, to try and bring those costs down. So, you know, your phone plans, your insurances, your utilities, uh, housing is one of those things where there's only so much negotiation that you can do because it is a, a secured product. And what that means is your house is on the line for that debt. So there is, it is harder sometimes for you to be able to negotiate how much of a discount you get on that loan. It can be done, of course. And if you've got a great broker, they will always look at options for you, but it can only be done so often and to a certain extent. Whereas really your, your, your smaller kind of bills, your, your phone, your insurances, utilities, there's a lot of, there's a lot of room to kind of play the game on those. 
How do you actually play the game? What do you say when you call up and you're like, oh, please give me money off, help? Yeah, so I always call and I always make sure that I write down the person's name who answers. And if I, and to the point where it's kind of weird, like if I don't hear them, like if I can't get the pronunciation, I'll ask them until I've literally got it because there's a real kind of gentle psychology to making someone feel like a person when you're having a conversation with them. So if I call, um, let's say I call Alinta, they're a gas company in WA and I, you know, Marjorie answers and I say, Hey Marjorie, like, how are you? My name is Victoria. I just picked a name and, um, I love it. And then I say, look, I just, (laughs) I want to have a chat about my account and, and that you get them to bring up your account and do the ID. You want to be really polite and really kind because the person that you are talking to is not the company that you are talking to, right? It's not their fault, what their restrictions are, what their options are. And I don't think you should ever pay forward the negativity of your experience to that individual. And so then you say, look, I've been having a look at some competitors. It's always good to do preliminary research if you can find it and actually have the hard evidence and be like, look, Clean Heat is offering 30% off for new customers. I'm just wondering if you're able to match that. And if they say, look, we're not able to match it, that's okay. What else are you able to offer me? And there's a really key distinction between saying, is there anything else you can offer me and what else can you offer me? Because that open-ended question really does something to people's brains where they try and find you an answer. And, you know, if they can't offer you a discount at the time, you say, thanks, no worries, I'll, I'll keep investigating. And then you just kind of keep going. So, for example, this week I received a renewal for my virtual address. I have a virtual address in Sydney for my business, for my newsletter, And I received an email saying that my renewal was coming up. I left it and then I was on the website because I was doing some comparisons between different competitors and the company that I'm with called me and they were like, hey, we can see you're on the website. Is there, I mean, a a little bit creepy, but no worries. And um, they were like, is there any (laughs) other products? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They were like, is there any other products that you're interested in? And I said, look, not right now. I said, but I am really interested in, I said, I'm just looking at my options. I said, I'm really interested in being won over to, to keep my business with you. And, and the person that I'll speak to, he was like, look, he's like, it's not my department. He's like, I can send an email to the relevant team and let them know that you're looking at your options and to give you a call. Sure enough, the next day they emailed me. They were like, Hey, like we, we got an email to say that you're looking at elsewhere. We'd really like to keep you. Here's 30% off. It's for life. So you will, every renewal will be at this 30% cheaper price. I didn't even have to, do you know what I mean? Like it was so passive. Oh, wow. And, uh, and you know, that's nice. a huge saving. Yeah. Yeah. It's always the first step that's hard, right? Like the calling, calling up the comparison, the getting on websites, the getting on the phone or on the chat. That's the hard part. But once you're there, I mean, what's the worst case scenario? You pay what you've been paying. The best case scenario is that you save some money. And that's why I've gone and tried to also renegotiate my mortgage and got it at a cheaper rate. You don't ask, you don't get, right? Same with utilities, same with all of those little things. I know that when I was a kid, I was always in awe of my father who would negotiate at the furniture store. 
you can do that, right? Like if you, if you need to get new stuff, often there's a markup that you can discuss and see if you can negotiate. It's yeah, just that JB awkward. Yeah. Yeah, JB we, yeah. Tash and I was, we're buying equipment and we just kept looking online on, and we're like, Hey, look, it's cheaper here. Can you match it? And they're like, yeah, okay, fine. We'll do it. Oh, look, this is also cheaper. Can you match it? And I did actually, Tash, I did the exact same thing when I was at um, Officeworks the other day as well. Amazing. It's my favorite. Like, can you, can you make this cheaper? And then they do. Cause it's great. Cause why not ask, you know, the worst is you're going to pay what you were going to pay anyways. I, I loved your tips. And if you're polite and kind, th- there is no real, you know, they're not going to put a flag on your account being like, this customer is stingy or this customer will beg for discounts. It, you, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to jeopardize your your relationship yeah. as a customer. Yeah. And even then, like you're paying to be a customer. You don't have to worry too much about asking for a cheaper price or moving. Like that's your right to do that. You pay for a service. So we've talked a little bit about cost savings and what you can do. And um, I'm sure you have a ton of tips around debt. Can we first talk about like why we get into debt? Yeah, definitely. So financial difficulty happens in a lot of different ways. There's like at a high level, we kind of have generational poverty and situational poverty, and they're very different. So generational poverty is long-term poverty that that extends into at least one more generation. So for example, a child is born into poverty. As a result of that, they go without enough food and that in turn affects their brain development, which in turn affects their education, which in turn affects their job opportunities, which in turn impacts their ability to to progress financially, right? And they grow up where often there's low financial literacy, but also the opportunities that are available to them are impacted by their home environment and the influences that are around them. And so if you are modeling off adults who don't have enough or continually having to access high interest debt or live in that feast and famine environment by which I mean, for example, a Centrelink payment comes in, you know that that money is going to go very quickly. You know that your direct debits are all about to come out and you're, you're buying a big shop for two weeks on that day and then you're having to make that food last two weeks and by the time you get to the 13th day, there's not a lot left And so it's extremely, extremely difficult to break that cycle. So when we talk about debt that comes from generational poverty, there's a lot of kind of behavioral psychology that needs to happen. There's a lot of really, really small incremental changes. Highly recommend being supported by a financial counselor through that journey. If if that is something that has happened to you that you want to try and break out of, or you know that you have been impacted by, by those kind of influences. And the flip side of this is that privilege side as well, right? Like often you don't see the impact of how someone got to where they did unless you see their kind of historical background. And someone who's grown up in poverty is so much more disadvantaged than someone who hasn't. And similarly, someone who's grown up where they weren't in poverty and have the financial literacy will have a leg up in society in so many different ways. And and understanding how those two work, it it's really important because that's why some people may get ahead of someone else. And our own personal financial situation isn't one that we should compare to others because we really don't know 
what their story is and how they've either been disadvantaged or had opportunities. So I just wanted to comment on that as well, because that's a huge part of financial literacy. And we can't not acknowledge that there's a history that we all carry in our own journeys. That's exactly right. And there's there's two parts to the rest of this answer. And the first part is that generational poverty is contrasted with situational poverty, which is where someone has become overcommitted through life shit, basically. And, you know, whether that's the Europe trip that they really, really wanted to do in their early 20s that they put on a credit card and it just never got paid off, or if that's just where someone's never quite realised what it means to have a personal loan or they've been managing really well and they've lost their job, you know, it kind of just gets in a cycle where, you have to keep taking out loans to manage the loans that you've got and it's all just it's all just a hot mess and you know there are people who say that that person should have known better and if you can't pay for it in cash then you can't afford it and firstly it, it's not very helpful right but also it's just generally not true for that person so they've operated in a framework that they thought they could control and then so it's not really about what a person has or hasn't done. It's about the fact that they want to move forward, whether that's as a financial counsellor, as a coach, as a friend, as a family member, how you support that person in doing that. And something that I've been writing about recently is, is the concept of what I'm calling financial integrity, which is as we're moving through our own money journeys, it's really taking the time and the initiative to become aware of how other people's money journeys affect them and what influences affect them so that when we are having conversations with other people about our money journeys, we're doing it through a lens of integrity where we're not assuming that what has worked for us or what we know is A, what other people know and what would work for other people. So I know it definitely depends on your situation, but do you have some general strategies for how to pay off debt? So again, and I I sound like a broken record when I say this, but it's so situational and it's so personal. So for example, if you cannot make your your minimum repayments and you're you're on low income. So you're struggling to get your bills paid. You're struggling to put food on the table, struggling to make rent. Financial counselor is absolutely where you need to start. Please do not hesitate. Call the NDH, have a chat about your options as soon as possible. The sooner that you do it, I can't make it more clear, the more options that you'll have. If you're a person who has an okay income and you know that you can pay something towards your debts, probably just not the full amount and paying all of your debts means that you haven't been able to save and, you, and you're kind of really struggling in that way. A, a really great organization is Way Forward Debt Solutions. So not a lot of people have heard about Way Forward, but they're this amazing organization. They're a charity, so they're not a profit organization. And basically what they do is they support people who've overcommitted but have some capacity to pay. So kind of in between are just above a financial counselor, whereas really it's people who have some capacity to pay, they're normally working and something's happened where they're a bit overcommitted and they kind of work similar to a debt consolidation company without the nasty kind of fees, charges and, and profit mentality. So David is the CEO of WayForward and I've worked with him a lot when I was a financial counsellor and we're working with WayForward now at the bank that I'm at. And I, they're really just such a beautiful organisation and they're a great place to start. And then the third part is if you are trying to prioritise yourself, like you're trying, to, you're trying to do it yourself and you know that there must be a way that, that you can do it, with it kind of without help and you're meeting your minimums and you've got some money to spare, 
rather than a prescriptive method of saying to you, pay off the lowest amount first or pay off the highest interest debt first, I tend to take a slightly different approach. I always say to clients, like, which one bothers you the most? And for some clients, there's debt that they hate the most. So whether that's the oldest debt or what they had to use that debt for, or the company that they have that debt with absolutely hounds them to death or, you know, they've acquired that debt from their ex, which does happen a lot. And so I always say to people, yes, potentially you might save interest or you, you know, you might maximize doing it a different way, but pay off the one that's going to bring you the most satisfaction first, because really nothing like will beat that feeling of turning a debt that's on your shit list into a debt that's on your hit list. And that will give you more momentum than anything else. Yeah. That's such good advice, I think, right? Like you want to get those little wins along the way and whatever the biggest win for you is, is really going to motivate you, empower you, and also just give you the confidence to keep moving forward, right? I'd love to hear a client success story. I'm sure you have a whole bunch, but do you have one that is your absolute favorite? Oh, how long have you got really? I think it's, it's so, it's so difficult for me because there's, there's nothing more phenomenal than, than witnessing people change their own lives and watching them build trust with themselves. And and I just have so many clients who will stick with me forever that, you know, the world is a pretty nightmarish place sometimes. And so like watching clients succeed is very much like seeing new growth on old trees. It is really what gives you hope that that spring keeps coming. (laughs) And, you know, I've had, (laughs) I've just had so many, it's like, it's so hard to pick, you know, a couple of clients will still message me on Instagram to, to keep me updated with their progress. And I guess the flip side of it is like not every story is a success. So I've had to tell people they're going to lose their house before, or I've had to help people file for bankruptcy before, or having to work through like horrible, horrible separations. But I think for me, like this, when I think about success stories, the success story for me is like when I worked with a client and they would leave like my frame, my measurement framework for a client, I would always say to them, my job isn't to make you feel better when you leave this office. My job is to make sure that you don't feel worse when you leave this office. And that in itself is quite a hard thing to do when someone is potentially losing their house, right? But for me, the success story is always if I work with a person and when they leave my office, they have their chin held high. That is my success story. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's a really good thing to have people leave with having their chin held high because I feel like there's so many big things that you're talking about with them and huge life changes coming up. So it's a good mentality to have. Um, One last thing before we finish off. Often we hear the sentiment, I'm bad with money. What are some of the tools or mindset shifts that individuals can do to change this ideology? I think it's an interesting question. And if someone always says to me, I'm bad with money, I always say, according to what framework? Because yeah, what are the rules? (laughs) Yeah, like according to whom? Because to be bad with money really depends. I don't think that anyone is bad with money. I think that people make money decisions out of whatever framework they've had to operate within. And that is impacted by so many, so many different things. And so I really challenge someone when they're thinking, I'm bad with money under what parameters are you are you saying that are you making that assumption and one really easy thing that i always challenge people to do as i always say like someone will say oh, i'm really bad with money and i say well you're a work in progress with your money like that's quite different because to say i'm bad with money 
is like a present a present mind frame. Whereas if you say I'm a work in progress with money, you you are acknowledging that maybe there's some things about your money relationship that you don't like or that you want to improve on. But to continue to say I'm bad with money affirms in yourself that that behavior will continue rather than wanting to move forward. So I really, I try and interrogate it with people as long as it's not like they've just said it to me in passing and I'm like, let's interrogate, (laughs) Uh, you know, really looking at (laughs) whose framework are we operating under? I know that a person has strengths. doesn't matter how bad someone's been with money, bad. There are always strengths, right? Always. And, And shifting that mindset to I'm a work in progress with money because that is however small those steps are to move forward, that is still a forward moving mindset. I really like the saying um, that you made the best decision with the information you had at the time, instead of being like, that was a terrible decision or a terrible choice, a choice. It's just, you made the best decision that you could with the information you had available at that time. Exactly. Hindsight is twenty twenty. It's so easy for us to go back and pass judgment on ourselves for the choices that we made, but really we try the best that we can every day. It's not like we're intentionally making bad choices and creating mind shifts and changes even beginning with changing the language around I'm bad with money can easily evolve into I'm really financially savvy, but it just takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, right? We we have to make those changes and believe in ourselves. And so much of that is tied to our self-worth, but we're all learning and that's why we're here, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Before we sign off, Victoria, I'd love to hear where can people learn more about you? So the best place to find me is on Instagram. My handle is at bad.bitch.money. I also have a really great fortnightly newsletter called Shambolic, the newsletter of chaos. And you can sign up for that in my bio. Yes, It just gives me the space to talk a little bit longer about about issues. It's really hard to, to kind of get into the meat of this stuff in short form carousel posts. Other than that, send me a DM, find me on LinkedIn if you would really like to, and uh, let's have a chat. I highly recommend following Victoria on Instagram. She has the best stories. I love them so much. And you get to see her kitty cat. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks so much for joining us. If you found this episode helpful, please rate us five stars, write a review, or share with a friend. If you're new to investing, make sure to listen to our first 10 episodes. Follow us at Get Rich Slow Club or Tash at Tash Invest or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Edgman, who is an authorized representative, 12-99881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 128-1540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info.